well, uh, some of this will be familiar today. Uh, Job 16 is where we're at. And he says something right off the bat that's going to kind of tickle you, but it'll also... Yeah, uh, just verse 1. Uh, Heather, have you got that? Then Job answered and said, I've heard many such things. Miserable comforters have already eaten all. Yeah. <laughs> so he's kind of answering Eliphaz, but he's talking to all the three of his friends. He goes, you guys are miserable comforters. And uh, if you will turn back to Job chapter 2, you'll at, at the end of Job chapter 2, just after Job faced all his difficulties... Uh, Heather, I'll let you read that one also. Read uh, Job 2 and verse 11. 2 and 11. And the Lord said unto Satan... No. 2.11. Job 2.11. 2.11. Yeah, chapter 2, verse 11. Now when Job's three friends heard all of this evil come upon him, they came every one from his own place. So, so these are at least they start out to be, uh, you know, good friends. They they left what they were doing in their life, and they came to mourn with him and to comfort him. But by the time we get to Job 16, he calls them miserable comforters because they're not actually comforting him. And if you guys remember, uh, you, you can go back to Job 16, but you remember Paul in. In uh, in Second Corinthians two or uh, one and verse three, he says that uh, God is the God of all comfort, and uh, he's the. the uh, but Paul goes on to say that uh, God comforts him in all their tribulation that they might comfort others. And, and so I gave you a quote here. This is from a preacher, and I didn't catch his last name, but it says, God comforts us not so that we can be comfortable, but so that we can become comforters. And I, I just like that quote. So that's what I had you put in your first blank if, if you got your hand out. I mean... Uh, um, the Bible says several times that, you know, happy are you if you do this, and blessed are you if you do that. But, but God's goal is not necessarily to make us happy. His goal is not necessarily to make us comfortable. But He does want us to comfort others and to be comforters. And, uh, Heather, that's a little bit of, you know, your, your training you're going through even now, isn't it, to the... Th- and I heard I had a lady tell me that Friday night. Just you know, God's brought me through some things, and I want to help others. I want to bring others along the path that I've been down, because so they don't have to make some of the same mistakes we've made. So anyway, um, that's why I had you read there at the first this thing about uh, comforting and comforting others. And so his friends were were not good at that. They they did not uh, help relieve him. 
And uh, I think I'll just pause right here at the f- first to, to even say this. Uh, Friday was the funeral of the young lady that took her life, uh, Mary Wolf. And uh, I know Lauren and Pam went to that visitation and funeral. And and uh, I don't know if <coughs> some of you have been... Some of you maybe have known people that have taken their life. Or maybe even some of you have thought about taking your own life. And So one of the ways I prepare to teach this class, I just look, after I kind of do study and put some things together, I'll listen to a sermon online. I just go to YouTube and type in Job 16. And uh, I kind of scroll through and I pick somebody. And I've listened to one guy two or three times. And one of the things he said was... He said something like, people who are, uh, the word we use is kind of marginalized, maybe the poor, maybe the needy, people that maybe seemingly don't have a lot to live for, they think of death. And part of the reason they think of death is they look at it as, you know, uh, some some type of relief from what they're going through, some type of comfort, some type of out to the 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 current stri- crisis that they're in, and uh, I that, that that made me pause just because I don't know about you, but I really don't think of death very often. I I like you know going forward and 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 uh, you know pushing through whatever is before me I honestly do not think of death very often but uh, that was just kind of made me stop and think you know what was Mary thinking before she took her life how, how did how dark did that look and what uh, I, I'm sure she was comforted she she was a true believer I believe and so maybe she's just like I'm ready to be in heaven uh, but anyway the reason I kind of bring that up is Job, Job is there he he is at the bottom. He has lost everything. And he's lost his children. He's lost his source of income. He's lost his health. His wife has asked him to curse God and die. His friends are not helping him. So things look pretty bleak for him. And so he's, 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 he's not going to take his own life. Uh, he believes God is the source of life and the author and finisher of our of our faith. Uh, but he he desires to be dead. That, that's pretty wild, isn't it? To think. So anyway, just this book of Job has helped me to maybe reflect on how others feel who uh, you know are, are in. I don't know if there's any more discussion about that. I I just wanted to mention that that. The people in need or in crisis think about death, and you know we're we're thinking of it a little bit with uh, her dad who's having health issues, and my dad. Uh, I, I I've I've had comforting knowing that this is not the end for him, even though he's in a lot of pain. He's just having knee problems, but uh, but I really don't think about my own mortality. But these these lessons do cause us to think about these things. I think people that think their own life don't think about other people. Oh, they're very selfish. Yeah. We had it a, is a selfish thing, isn't it? We had a, what is it, a grand niece? Her husband took his life in October. 
and sat at the dining room table and shot himself in the head. Kind of makes a mess. Uh. And had three kids come home from school to find him. Uh. Mm. Now, people that do that... It scarred him, didn't it? Don't think about other people's pain at all. Uh. I think when, when a person, just from my experience, because I had a, the close call that I had... You know, I think that I felt, and I was angry at myself. I was angry at everything, and I told God, "I'm done. I don't. I, I don't want to. I don't want to. I'm in this car. It's my life. I don't want to drive anymore, and I don't even want to be in the car. I want out." And um, I think it. I didn't understand the perspective of how he just wanted to drive. That's good for me to hear even your thoughts as you reflect on that time. And I mean, I know Pat has said some things. I know other people in our group have said things that they've contemplated they're, they're taking their life. And so I guess I know people... Um, there, there was one lady that none of you know that, that overdosed and... She they resuscitated her for 30 minutes, and so she's alive today, but she's got brain damage, and uh, she's one because one of the things Brian says is, I mean, as a church, but especially as life issues, we want to give people every opportunity to succeed, and so people when like Mary died, you know, I question myself: Did I give her every opportunity to be successful? Probably not. I, I didn't know her that well. Uh, when we had Tuesday night group, she came faithfully to Tuesday nights. So I only seen her maybe three or four times on a Friday night. But um, I mean, if I looked at my phone, I probably got her number. You know, I, I probably could have called her. I, but th- this lady that did overdose, <clears throat> I mean, I, I took the call at midnight and. You know, we sent a guy there at three in the morning when she was puking up blood, and so we, with her, I do feel like we gave her every opportunity to be successful. And you know, she chose to take her life, and she was not successful. So now she's divorced, and she don't have her kids, and she lives with her mom and dad, and she's you know mentally you know messed up for the rest of her life. So anyway. Uh, those are just so. I know people who have tried and been unsuccessful. I, I know a few people that have, have. There was one year where Pam Jackson said, "Steve, I, I know eight people that took their life this year." I'm like, "What? This year?" So, so 
so I'm not as close to it as, as many and so but anyway those are all things maybe help you get a background for some of Job's thoughts not that he because uh, he asked for God not to take his hand off of him or he, he says something like that so um, so he's not going to take his own life but anyway multiple times in multiple ways he says that uh, he wishes you know for for relief that's that's what he's wanting and so let, let's read on now <clears throat> we read job 16 verse 1 and uh, Kaylee would you read um, uh, job 16 and I guess you read one and two, didn't you, uh, Heather? So read three through six, if you would. Um, shall vain words have an end, or what in holiness be that thou answerest? Um, I also can speak as ye do. If your soul were in my soul's stead, I could have, I could heap up words against you and shake mine head at you. But I would strengthen you with my mouth, and the moving of my lips should assuage you your grief. Uh, though I speak, my grief is not assuaged, and though I forbear, what am I eased? All right. So, uh, <clears throat> uh, my Angie, why don't, why don't you uh, look up this uh, Psalm twenty-two seven? We'll have you read that in just a minute. But so he's telling them that not only are you miserable comforters, but you've spoken all these vain words. They've said things, you know, like you know he needs to get his heart right, he needs to pray more, he needs to have more faith, he needs to confess this uh, hidden sin in his life, and he's saying, you know, those are vain words. He, he said, if if I were in uh, in verse four that uh, Kaylee read, if I were in your soul's stead, I could heap up words against you. I I could say all these things against you and just shake my head at you but what I would do is I would strengthen you with my mouth and what do you think the word for that is that we say in the New Testament if you strengthen someone else what are you doing to them encouraging you're encouraging there's another E word Uh, edify Edify, that's what I was looking for that's what I had you put in your blank but he, he said I would strengthen you with my words and so, you know, maybe he would, maybe he would, and the, the shoe's not on the other foot there. But uh, Angie, there's a kind of a cross-reference in Psalm 22, and Psalm 22 is what we call a messianic psalm. It's a prophesy about the Messiah, and look what it says in verse seven. Angie's going to read it. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, <clears throat> they shake the head, saying. Okay, so. When Christ was on the cross, people did shake their head and they did shoot their mouth off. And, you know, just they're like, you know, if you really were the Lord, you would come down off the cross and save yourself. And and they, they said things like that. And so Job is saying, you know, I could do that too. I could heap up words. I could shake my head at you and say these terrible things. But rather, I would choose to edify you. And uh, and then he uses this word assuage. <clears throat> and I gave you a little definition there. It means to uh, lessen. 
And I think that me that word I meant was nullify. I put mollify. I don't know. <laughs> it would mean to diminish or to relieve. Excuse me. And I I think that uh, after the flood of Noah. The flood waters were assuaged. They, they, they lessened. The, the flood waters uh, went back into the ocean and the, the earth, the dry land appeared. <clears throat> so. Mollify is a word. It appeased the anger or anxiety of someone. Oh. How is that spelled? Is that with two L's? M O L L I F Y. M O. M O. L L I F Y. Yeah, yeah, he actually has it on there. Yeah. He thought it was oh, you gotcha. know, the wrong word, but it's it's the right word. Huh. Okay. Yeah. All right. So it is the right word. So he he's saying that I would help you assuage your grief, but in verse six he says, uh, "Though I speak, my grief is not assuaged. It's like I I am not relieved. I am not lessened. My suffering has not diminished." <clears throat> And so I gave you another cross-reference there that Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and he bore our griefs. That's what Isaiah 53 says. So my teaching point here, I kind of tried to wrap this up or summarize it. God is the God of all comfort. Now, pause right there. Don't look at that. Look, Look at me for just a minute. If the God is the God of all comfort, all comfort then if we are going to be comforted, it has to come from Him, doesn't it? And when somebody told me that, that was just a light bulb. Uh, A friend of mine that has died, he he used to do hospital ministry. And and that was in his mission statement. uh, uh, He was a leader of a group that would go into hospitals and try to, you know, pray for people and comfort them. And that's his thing. So if God is the God of all comfort... And Jesus, after he died and buried and rose again, he now gives the comforter to everyone that believes in him. So we have an internal comforter, we have a heavenly comforter. And uh, so my teaching point, now, now you can look at this, God is the God of all comfort, and he has given us the comforter, so we must take heed not to grieve him. So uh, the Bible says that we can grieve the Holy Spirit, so I, I kind of, and in the context of suffering, we kind of understand there's a grieving process of when we lose a loved one or something uh, very difficult happens to us. It it's grievous, and the Bible says that we can grieve. It's kind of to mean to make sorry. It's like you know the Holy Spirit wants to use this, but. If, if we're not in the Word, we're not hearing from the Lord, we're not uh, serving Him, then uh, it, it kind of grieves Him. It's like, you know, we gave you this gift of the Holy Spirit. It's the earnest of our inheritance. One day we're going to go to heaven, so He's given us this down payment of the Holy Spirit inside of us, and we should not grieve Him. Amen? Alright. Well, this next section here... <coughs> Uh, I gave you a, a little he- header here. Uh, the, under your Roman numeral 2, Job typifies Christ on the cross. And I gave you a note there. And it needs uh, it needs a, a little bit of... 
it's not a typo, but I need you to add something. Job 16 is one of six chapters, it should say, in the Old Testament. Uh, because obviously the Gospels refer to Christ's death. Job 16 is one of six chapters in the Old Testament that help us understand Jesus' thoughts on the cross. The other five are Job 30, uh, Psalm 22, Isaiah 50, 52, and 53. And there's some other uh, what we call Messianic Psalms, but all of Psalm 22 is about uh, prophecy about the Lord's. Uh, does anybody know the first verse of Psalm 22? I'll bet you do as soon as I say it. Is that the soft answer? No, no. that's Proverbs. Oh, oh. You said Psalm? Psalm 22, 1. No, I don't. He, he starts out just like uh, Matthew 27 My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Isn't that exactly what Christ said on the cross? So, right from Psalm 21 1, or 22 1, you can tell that it's a reference to the Lord's uh, uh, thoughts and his words while he's on the cross. Uh, so, we're going to be looking at a couple things for Matthew as we go through here. But uh, most of you have been through. Uh, Pam, is it in D2 where we teach like principles of Bible study? I know we teach it other places. Yeah. And, and so one of them is to compare spiritual things with spiritual things. That's actually right out of the Bible. In fact, let, let's all look at this. Because I quoted this one time to a guy. Uh, you'll get chuckled at it because he was not a believer. Uh, second, second, no... 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I try not to have you turn too many places. I know it's kind of hard. Some some of you have a table there, so you're not juggling too many things. But 1 Corinthians 2. And so this is one of our principles of Bible study. And this is one thing that I never did. Uh, it, uh, my 31 years in an, in another church, but it was really helpful to come to this church and learn some of this. First Corinthians 2:13 says, <clears throat> "Which things also we speak, not in the words which men man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teaches." teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And then verse 14 is is what I quoted to a guy once. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So as we as we think of the mind of Christ, and we think, and what we're saying here is, Job is going to say some things that are very similar to what Christ said. Sometimes exactly what Christ said or thought while he was on the cross, and so that's what we mean by he was a type or a predecessor. 
he represents in his words things in his suffering Job was suffering and he is thinking some things he he uh, is going to say some things that were on the mind of Christ and that's what this verse so what we're going to do is we're going to compare some spirits the Bible is a it's it's a holy Bible it's a spiritual book and uh, <clears throat> It uh, holy just means sacred or sanctified. It, it's set apart, and it's uh, a Bible. It's a book of books, and we're we're going to cross reference some of those, and uh, that's what uh, is. That's really probably the the. Uh, Maybe, maybe the greatest thing about uh, the King James Bible is this cross-referencing that you can do because the, the words are similar in, in different places and you can cross-reference. So that's what we mean by comparing spiritual things with spiritual. We don't have to wonder what some of them mean because we can cross-reference and say, oh, he said the same thing here and here's what it means. So anyway, hope, hopefully that makes sense. <clears throat> So uh, verses seven and eight, uh, Emmett. Let's let's go back to sixteen, uh, Job sixteen, and if you can read seven and eight for us. But now he hath made me weary; thou hast made desolate all my company, and thou hast filled me with wrinkles, which is. That doesn't sound right. Yeah, his wrinkles, which is a witness. Which is a witness against me. And my leanness rises up in me, bearing witness to my face. Now, uh, some of that you may think, well, that could represent Christ on the cross. It, it could not. But when you get down to verse 10, it says, They have gaped upon me with their mouth. They have smitten me upon the cheek reproachfully. They have gathered themselves against me. That That is very graphically because... Uh, so, so what happens here in this section, verses 7 through 14, he goes from talking to his friends what miserable comforters they are, and he, he, he shifts and he's, he's talking to God, and uh, he's like, God, I, I feel like they have gaped upon me, uh, and it even says that thou hast made desolate all my company. He's like, you know, God, in Job's mind, he lost his children, he lost his servants, he lost his animals. He, but, but in reference to the Lord, you remember the night he was betrayed, they all left him. The sheep were scattered uh, so that they could get to the shepherd. And so it, 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 these are representative of the Lord. And uh, that's what I put. It, it's, it talks about how weary he was. And it, Jesus had been up all night in Gethsemane uh, praying. And so when uh, Judas and the, the, the chief priests, and when they come out with their staves to uh, take Jesus uh, to arrest him, he he had been up all night. He pulled an all-nighter, and uh, I've only done that a couple times. I used to push snow for uh, kind of a side job, and so there was a couple times I was up 36 or 42 hours, and you know you you do kind of get. you know, just numb. You're, you're kind of numb when you when you do that. 
And so you can imagine Jesus' weariness, and that's what Job says there in verse 7. Now he hath made me weary. So I don't know if he's he's praying to God that God has made him weary, or if that's more of a reference to Satan. But now uh, in verse 8, uh, it's Emmett, you tickled me when you said uh, that's not right about wrinkles. Because... Uh, you know, it's a reference to his being so skinny and wrinkled up and frail. But uh, uh, Psalm says something about that. Uh, Psalm seven, uh, 22, 17. We should probably all hold our place in Psalm 22. We're going to look there a couple times, so I'm going to turn there now. It's one book over Psalm 22. And verse 17 says... I may tell all my bones they look and stare upon me. So Christ on the cross, you know, he can look down and uh, he's saying I can tell uh, when you, whenever you go to the bank, you, you see the bank teller. A bank teller is someone who counts. He counts money. She counts money. So he said I can tell all my bones. I, I can count all my bones. And he says they're staring upon me. I mean just the the breathing and the asphyxiation that he's going through, and so you know, Job says something kind of similar that he about his leanness. He's wrinkled and he's leanness. Now, uh, let, let me uh, let me give you this cross reference in Ephesians five. In Ephesians five, you don't have to go there if you don't want to, but. Christ wants to present the church without spot or wrinkle or blemish. Now, if Job is wrinkled, he's got all these wrinkles. Why is it that the church should not have wrinkles? This is. Well, because the church should be healthy. That that was it. That you know, just the fullness. That you know, fatness in the Bible has to do with you know riches and and. Uh, in fact, I know a lady. Goodness, I'm sure she was well over 300 pounds. And she went on a mission trip and she just. I think it was in Africa. So this this big white lady in Africa and just everybody stared at her and they just thought she was you know very prosperous lady in the United States because she was so fat and you know healthy or whatever so they you know maybe don't look at it you know we, we want to have low body fat we want to but anyway uh, Paul wants to present the church without spot or blemish or wrinkle and I just I kind of I kind of meditated on that because because Job is looking on his wrinkles and his leanness, and the church is is to be without wrinkle. So anyway, I just thought I think wrinkles only like in the Bible three times, and one of them's here, and one of them is in Ephesians five. So <clears throat> might do good to meditate on that a little bit. Okay, in verse nine, uh, we we didn't read that yet. Uh, Pam, do do you want to read sixteen nine? Now, how can that be so? If that's Christ's thoughts on the cross, 
how can it be that he's facing God's wrath and God is hating him? How can that be? the wrath that we deserve. That's it. That is it. Wow. Job is saying, you know, why am I facing your wrath? Why do you hate me so much, Lord? And and that's the answer. You know, instead of talking to his friends, uh, you know, the Bible does say God is love. And really we are all kind of wooed or drawn to God's love. But the Bible also says God is light. And, and that represents you know, His holiness, His justice, you know, His righteousness. And so, you know, a good judge, if you go up here to Cass County and you sit in on some courtrooms... A good judge has to punish sin. It doesn't mean that they don't love that person or care about him. So God, God is both. He's loving and gracious, and but he's also righteous and holy and and just. And so he has to hate sin, doesn't he? He. Uh, and so, like Brian just said, Christ. I mean, that's why Jesus says, "My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken me?" The, the Bible says in Habakkuk that God is of, of too pure eyes to look upon iniquity. So God had to turn his back. And I believe that's why the sky went dark for those three hours. From uh, So he, he was on the cross at noon. And then uh, shortly before three o'clock, the, the, the thief on the cross asked him to be with him uh, in paradise. Uh, or Christ says you'll be with me today in paradise and I believe the sky went dark then because uh, God had to turn his back upon iniquity and uh, and uh, even though he loved his son he uh, he was, he couldn't look he's too righteous and holy to look upon the sin and so I gave you several references there where God hates things and it says he's angry with the wicked every day and he hates uh, you, you might look at the proverb when there Proverbs 6 16 uh, these things doth the Lord hate uh, 6 16 David says several times in Psalm 119 at least twice that I love thy statutes, therefore I hate every false way. And so there is a certain righteous indignation, we say. Uh, Proverbs 6.16 says, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that are that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. So there's there are things that the Lord hates, and there's there's seven of them right there. <clears throat> and uh, anyway, I gave you a, a whole list of things in your handout that uh, that God hates. Uh, the revelation is where he hates the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. That's uh, maybe a view, many of you. I think uh, 
I could be wrong. I think Nico, Nico Leighton, that may be where the word Nike comes from. It means conqueror. The word Nike, like the swoosh, the, the Nike sign on your shoes. Uh, I think that's the same word, Nico Leighton. So uh, Nico means conqueror, and Leightons mean like the laity, like the common man. So the Nicolaitans had like a priestly, a priesthood where the priests are over the laity. It's kind of a hierarchy, uh, maybe similar to the Catholic Church. To where uh, you know the common man can't really have or understand the Bible, but you know, come to us and we'll absolve you of sin, and we'll take your confession, and we'll we'll be your spiritual uh, guide. Uh, anyway, God hates that. Uh, he wants us to have the Bible for ourselves, and the Bible says the common people heard him gladly. Uh, and then it says in verse 10 that uh, we read that they gaped upon him with their mouth I gave you a, a definition I don't really like that for gaped it means to open the mouth wide it's almost like a yawn but I think it's more of a devouring it says even to gaze stupidly or in an open mouth surprise or wonder like oh my gosh oh. Uh, They, but I think it's almost like an angry gape like they're cursing and taunting and hollering out at uh, him and of course the smitten the cheek uh, we should look at that one because it says exactly the same thing in, in Matthew 27 or 26 let's uh, hold our place in Job and go to Matthew 26 <clears throat> I hope you're encouraged by this at least uh, maybe just to have more reverence or for the Bible, because I mean, this 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 cross reference here is just undeniable. Matthew twenty six and verse sixty seven says, <clears throat> "Then did they spit in his face and buffeted him, and others smote him with the palm of their hands." Uh, I, th- I think there's one that. There's a couple that say they smote him on the cheek. So, uh, yeah, well, the next verse saying, Prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who is he that smote thee? So I think they had uh, put like a something over his head and then they were hitting him in the face and they're mocking him saying, you know, if you're the Christ, prophesy, tell us who hit you. And so Job is saying things like that, that they're gaping up on him with their mouth, they're smiting him on the cheek. And so uh, back back to, well, while you're there in Matthew, are you still there in Matthew? Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, Heather uh, 27.2, <clears throat> Matthew 27.2. And when they had found him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. So there, there's several times right in here. So he, he went through these mock trials with the Romans and some with uh, the Jews. And now he's back with the Roman uh, governor, Pontius Pilate. And it says that they, they bound him and led him. And it says that they delivered him. And 
so that that's what I put in your next blank is just the word delivered. Because uh, all those references I gave you, even in Luke and John, they're all about this group of people delivered him. And in in Job 16, if you're back there, it's verse 11. It says, God hath delivered me to the ungodly and turned me over unto the hands of the wicked. And and that, that is kind of what happened to Jesus, isn't it? That he was... Delivered, so I, I just I tried to highlight that word delivered because the Jews delivered Jesus to the Jews. Uh, I'm teaching through Matthew right now in in our HBI class on Saturdays. We we just have uh, one or two uh, Bible Institute students right now, and. Uh, so it's kind of weird just teaching to one person but anyway I'm teaching the book of Matthew and so Matthew is like one of my favorite books of the Bible <clears throat> well who was Joe talking to when he said God hath delivered me unto the ungodly and turned me over the hands of the was he talking to his friends I, I think so I think so it's like slap. yeah <laughs> uh, well it, it could be you know the Babylonians or the Chaldea uh, the uh those groups of people that took all his stuff that that could be as well but yeah I, I think it is a he's calling his friends wicked right there it looks like doesn't it uh, he says I was at ease in verse 12 but he hath broken me asunder he hath taken me by my neck and shaken me to pieces and set me up for his mark his archers compass me round about. He cleave, cleaveth my reins asunder and doth not spare. He poureth out my gall upon the ground. He breaketh me with breach upon breach. He runneth upon me like a giant. So all this is really graphic. Uh, I put on your handout that Job has become the target or the mark of God's wrath. And... Uh, there's a reference to gall in some of these places and the breach upon breach he even uses the word archers in verse 13 I think and look back at Job 6 look at look at Job chapter 6 he makes another similar comment and uh, Heather I'll have you read that 6-4 uh, if you would for the arrows of the almighty are within me the poison whereof drinketh of my spirit. The terrors of God do not set themselves in array against me. Yeah, so he's saying similar things. He's, instead of archers, he says, you know, God's arrows are stuck in me. And then he mentioned this poison, and, and what, what word did he use in Job 16 instead of poison? Gall. And uh, does anybody know what that is, gall? And we say... Boy, that took some gall to do that. Are we? we Bible says bitter, poisonous, noxious substance. Yep, yep, like uh, hemlock or uh, cyanide. Um, did they give you a cross reference? Because the Matthew twenty. 
Yeah, so they, they would like dip a sponge and offer it up to gall and yeah, to either like relieve the pain, uh, but it uh, but it's mixed with vinegar and so Christ refused it. He, and so some people say, well, he you know he wanted to you know have the full you know suffering experience and not be relieved of his pain but uh, also uh, the vinegar is an issue there too because it's of of wine and and he he refused uh, the wine and, and that's all all that is very significant but it's just interesting that job mentions gall here in his words and uh, Jesus refused the the gall to uh, and uh, what does he say my go- uh, he poureth out my gall upon the ground I, I think I think uh, doesn't part of our organs have like gall in them and that so maybe when they pierced his side maybe huh Come out gallbladder? Yeah, yeah, yeah that you're yeah <laughs> Light bulb. I should write that down. Yeah, your gallbladder. You'd heard of it. Doesn't one of our organs have? Oh my goodness, we are all learning. Amen. So I guess your gallbladder has some type of gall, some some bitter in it, and Job's was. Poured on the ground, it seems I like. Thought about why it was called that. Yeah. yeah I mean, isn't that one of the organs you can live without? Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. People. So isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. Without the gall. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. That's funny. Yeah. That's good. Wow. Having some light bulb moments here. <laughs> Very good. Thank you, Kaylee. All right, page two here on the back. My teaching point here. So, so some of my lesson, you know, I'm getting from other sources, but I try to write out the teaching point to where I try to, you know, reflect and look at what's being taught here. And I, I put that one of the most difficult aspects of suffering, and, and I don't know if you agree with this or not, but... It's really the the waiting, the, the the element of time. He's waiting for relief. He needs some endurance, uh, i.e., patience. And so it's it's you know he is developing patience. The Bible says that tribulation worketh patience. And so you and I know that from experience that maybe we've gone through something. And sometimes you just, you know, like this lady's death. I mean, you can't, you know, bring her back. You just got to, you know, move forward. So, that was my teaching point there. A difficult aspect of suffering is the waiting for relief. All right, verse 15 
Haley, would you read, I guess, 15 and 16? I have set sackcloth upon my skin and defiled my horn in the dust. My face is foul with weeping, and on my eyelids is the shadow of death. Um, so I, I called this section. He, he's praying for his injustice, and he uses that word injustice here in just a minute. But sackcloth in the Bible represents mourning. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember the story of Jonah, but once he does get to Nineveh and he says, you know, repent, because in 40 days God is going to kill this whole city, it says they repented in sackcloth and ashes. Sackcloth was like, you know, a form of repentance, of sorrow. Maybe after someone dies, they, they heap dust on their head and they clothe themselves with sackcloth. It, it's to us like a burlap gunny sack. Uh, you, you've probably seen or know what a burlap or a gunny sack is, so it'd be like to just to clothe you with that. It, it's rough, it irritates you, but you're uh, representing mourning. And then horn, the Bible in the Bible, a horn represents it's a symbol of authority. And I gave you some references there. You know, Daniel prophesies about the ram, the one with two horns, and. Uh, uh, the Bible even talks about the unicorn a few times. It's a symbol of power and of authority. And he's he's saying that he has uh, clothed himself in this sackcloth and he's sewed it up. He, he does it... Uh, I don't know exactly what that means. Like you know, I couldn't take it off. I've symbolically sewed myself. In, I'm so sorrowful, and uh, the horn that I was once a powerful, greatest man of the East, it's now in the dust. So he says his face is foul with weeping. And on his eyelids is the shadow of death. And that has been mentioned several times in the book of Job. This shadow of death. And and then verse 17 and 18, Brian, if you read those. Not for any injustice in my hand. Also my prayer is my prayer is here. O earth, cover not thou my blood, and let my cry have no place. <clears throat> So I just had you put the word injustice in your... Kind of like we said that Jesus Jesus was pure and He died for our injustice. You know, He, he died for us. Uh, he died wrongfully. Uh, he uh, was tempted to sin like as we are, yet without sin. And then when He asked uh, about this earth... I don't believe he's praying to the earth. He's just saying, man, I wish the earth would cover, not cover my blood. And I don't want my cry to have a place. <clears throat> I gave you some references there. and For sake of time, we won't look them all up. But uh, Do you remember the Bible says that uh, God, God told Cain that Abel's blood is crying to me from the ground? And then uh, Jesus brought His blood. Uh, Jesus' blood was brought before the God's throne. It was like offered on the mercy seat, like the priests of the Old Testament would sprinkle blood on the on the uh, the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat. 
And then uh, Jesus or uh, Pilate tried to wash his hands of Christ's innocent blood, and then Jesus purchased the blood with his church, purchased the church with his blood in Acts twenty. And uh, what I got from that. Um, I don't know if you ever I, I never thought of it quite like this but uh, th- think with me now I don't, you probably can't tell from there but I, I busted my knuckle yesterday at work and I didn't even know it and later I looked down I was bleeding and, and I got a couple cuts on my um, the reason I mention that is the reason my the, there was a reason my knuckle bled and, and I think that that is the point that the reason that uh, he's like he's like don't let my blood soak into the ground. It needs to be evidence that something happened here. I I've been persecuted severely, and and that that's why uh, Abel's blood cried to God, and God could hear the blood. Like there's there's a reason that there's blood there is because somebody's been hurt or killed, and so. Uh, <clears throat> And that's why uh, in Numbers 35, Israel, it says that if you don't uh, execute capital punishment on, on murderers, that the land will be defiled. The, the land is polluted because you didn't get justice for this guy's blood. This guy murdered this guy. Now that guy should die because he murdered that person. And it says that the land will be defiled uh, if you don't do that. So, anyway, uh, a lot lot could be said there about the blood, and we we don't want to minimize the blood of Christ because <clears throat> it was uh, holy and pure. It's wild to think about when Christ rose from the dead; he actually took some of his blood and sprinkled it in heaven to to redeem man. To so. It you know just how that practically happened is you know pretty marvelous. Um, let's uh, yeah, Heather. So I don't mean to throw the squirrels in the field, but up a little bit more on the page is it references James five eleven. Yeah. So five eleven. So I read. From ten to twenty, mm-hmm. and it's talking about afflictions and uh, patience of Job, and then the last on verse twenty says, "Let him know that he which converteth the sinner from error of his way shall save his soul from death, and shall hide a multitude of sins." Is it similar to what you're talking about right now? Yeah. Is cross-referenced? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So. I remember you telling me about your friend in the drug court that you believe God used you to help win him to Christ. Do you remember that? And I think that applies right there that he that, you know, God will favor you and look well upon you for helping that person cover a multitude of sins. I think. I, that's kind of my story. I was just had read that from, yeah. from the 511 yeah. section because it was talking about yeah. Job. Yeah. Yeah, that's a New Testament reference to Job being a real person. And 
my great grandma I used to go to her house after school and she would say something about the patience of Job and you know, I really didn't think about it being in the Bible back then. I was just this little kid. Patience of Job, what is that? And the Bible actually s- Yeah. 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 He's wicked. Yeah. 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 Some of this he doesn't have patience yet, but he'll he'll get there. So we're seeing before Job had the patience. Um so anyway, uh, Brian, will you read the rest of our chapter here and then we'll close up? Yeah. Also now, behold, my witness is in heaven, my record is on high. My friends scorn me, but mine eye poured out to God. Oh, that one might plead for a man with God, as a man pleaded for his neighbor. When a few years are come, then I shall go the way which I shall not return. <laughs> Like some faith right there. Yeah, yeah. He just wishes someone would plead to the Lord. So this is like intercessory prayer. You know, guys, I really wish you would plead for me instead of scorn for against me. And uh, the the rescue mission here in town, one one of their their guiding verses is to plead for the poor and needy. Uh, that's at the end of Proverbs 30 or 31. <clears throat> I think I gave it to you on your handout. <clears throat> so, you know, uh, in Job 9, he wanted this daysman. He wanted somebody to intercede for him. And so I, I put in your blank there the word advocate. And that, that's kind of our word for lawyer. You want a, a he, he's not only a lawyer, but he he pays pays your debt as well. But uh, so we have this advocate. We have what Job was asking for. Just wish someone would plead for me and make intercession. Uh, and my teaching point there is that we have hope in our death. There's a couple verses that. Uh, that people are without hope and they have no hope in their death. So, anyway, I, I know we're just a little bit over, so I apologize for that. But ho- hopefully you've enjoyed this class. And if you guys came in a little late, uh, next week is our fabulous fifth where we don't have a Sunday school, we don't have a Bible hour next week. Uh, it's only a 10.30 service and we will have the Lord's Supper at at the 10.30 time. So so two weeks from now, we'll pick up Job 17. Sound good? Yep. So uh, we're going to pray. Uh, Brian, would you close us in prayer? Sure. Yeah. Father God, love you, Father. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for this time of coming to your house of worship. You did your word, Father. I pray that it's on our hearts, Father. 